Welcome to Education Talks, I'm David Burke. Dr. Colleen Boyette is an experienced educator and, like many educators who've worked outside of their home country, a veteran world traveller. She's also a military veteran. Her teaching career spans schools in the US and Asia, and she's recently returned to the US. I had the pleasure to work with Colleen in South Korea for a couple of years, and I was keen to catch up with her. Well, Colleen, hello and welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation, Dave. Glad to be it here. Is, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, now, we, of course, work together back in uh, South Korea at Jeju Island. Um, it's uh, really good to catch up with you. I think you were there one year before me and left uh, maybe a year or so. Yeah, I came in 2000, July of 2015 and left in um, July of 2019. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. And before we sort of start talking about education, I wanted to, um, to talk about uh, you served in the military. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I got my start there. Um, didn't have money for college. And in the United States, um, the best go-to plan for that is to enlist in the military where they would pay for a bachelor's degree. So I signed up. They called it a 98 Gulf. It was an Arabic linguist, um, voice electronic voice interceptor. Um, but basically, I spent two fabulous years, nearly two fabulous years at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California, where I studied Arabic um, seven hours a day, five days a week. Just had a fabulous time and really gave me my start for everything I was going to do in my career. It laid the foundation. Um, I later was able to serve um, a Fulbright scholarship in Jordan um, because I spoke Arabic. I was able to do my doctoral research in Yemen because I spoke Arabic. So I'm very, very grateful for that start to my to my career. Um, so how did that actually influence your teaching career? So as you moved into teaching, how do you think that sort of all of that experience um, played out in well, your career? Uh, it's interesting because I'm from I'm from the deep south. I'm from the panhandle of Florida. And um, my, I was a stay-at-home mom for almost 10 years after I got out of the military. But when I finally did re-enter the workforce as a teacher um, in 1995, um, what I, found, I landed in a, the most perfect job in the world. It was an international baccalaureate program where I was able to teach world history. And just having the background of um, travel, having the background of understanding a different culture, um, allowed me to segue into this international program. I hadn't attended an international school. I had had no exposure to that, but, but being exposed um, to the culture, to another culture um, with understanding and compassion and, and empathy and um, scholarship helped lay the foundation for career as an international educator. Can you remember the time when you actually decided that you wanted to become a teacher? Yes, I, I can actually. Um, well, yes. When I was in second grade, my second grade teacher, Ms. Shear, asked me what I wanted to do. And I told her I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I actually used that word, Egyptologist. Um, and the, the apple hasn't fall, fallen far from that, from that goal because I ended up being a, a scholar of Middle East history. Um, but I think any type of... Um, of academic pursuit that one has, you have to know that there is gonna be a teaching component, a pedagogical component to it. And so I think I knew intuitively I would end up in a classroom somewhere at some level. 
Um, I didn't know, you know, whether it be the university or high school, but, but if you have a passion for your field, it's very hard to bottle that up. You know, you have to convey that in some classroom setting. And um, so I'm very excited to be able to pursue my passion and be an educator about that as well. And where, where did your teaching career begin? I'm right where I am right now, strangely enough. I'm at Pensacola High School in Pensacola, Florida. And um, so I worked here for, um, well, I guess I was here for 11 years as a teacher and then the IB coordinator. And then I decided to go back and get my doctorate. And then after that, I was, I was actually sitting in my living room one Christmas and I was reading an international um, I think it was the International Educator, which is a newsletter that goes out. And I saw where a job was posted for an IB coordinator in Hong Kong, of all places. And I, I sat there and I calculated what did I need to do? Because my son by that time was um, getting ready to graduate from, from school. And, you know, I knew I'd have, you know, the empty nest and I wanted to do something beyond Pensacola. And I thought, what do I need to do to make that happen? I'm, I'm not financially in a position, you know, I'm a homeowner, I can't just get up and leave. But what if, if I wanted to do that next year, or the year after that, what would I have to put in place in my life to make that happen? And that's what I said about doing. I, I made a plan, I, you know, I, I wanna be out of debt, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And so I positioned myself where I would be able to do that at some point in the future. And I set my goals. Um, we'll come back to making a leap into international schools, but can you just tell us a little bit more about, so you're a doctor of philosophy. Um, yeah. what, what sort of drove your interest in pursuing that? And, and do you think that that is something which brings value to uh, your, you know, your place in, in school? I, I do. And, and there's a very uh, clear reason why. I think teachers, administrators are models for their students, whether we like it or not. Students are watching us. Um, they emulate us in many cases, and they're looking at us um, for leadership. And I wanted to set the model um, in part because that I, to be a strong academic. And how do you define a strong academic? Well, one is, have you, have you done all you can to get the degrees in your field and to demonstrate um, your mastery? So having a PhD, in my case for history, was one way to do that. I wanted, I wanted the respect, but I wanted to earn that respect. I didn't want to just say, you know, well, history is important because I said so in your world history classroom, but it's so important and such a passion for me um, to pursue it. I've, I've actually, um, it's been a, almost two years now, I published a three-part, um, I was chief editor of a, of a series on world uh, women's history um, from ancient times to the present. You can get it on Amazon. <laughs> um, it was a honorable mention for an American Library Association award. And so students can go to the library and say, all right, my teacher or my, my principal or my IB coordinator, you know, um, feels this strongly, has done this level of research, you know, so I can certainly do an extended essay in IB, or I could do this essay for my capstone program because I see that it can be done. Students need to know that it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that I can imagine being something of great um, value and, and example to students in the school. Um, now, you're in the US, you were in the US, in Florida, your home state, you're starting to look around at these international schools. Do you remember 
um, the beginnings of uh, what led you to South Korea? Well, I, because I was an Arabic linguist in the military and because my PhD is in Middle East history, um, because I had a desire to travel again, once again in the Middle East, um, you know, that was my, my first inclination. But for some reason, you know, call it fate, I don't know, it, it just wasn't coming up. They weren't, they weren't hiring in my field at the time I was looking in the Middle East. And I thought, where have I never been? Where do I know nothing about the culture? And it ended up being the Far East. And I was getting job offers in China and um, Korea. And I had never heard of JG Island. I like to think that I'm geographically um, savvy, but I had never heard of this place. And I Googled it and it just so happened that the New York Times had done um, a, a close up of it, uh, a focus on one of their articles. And I was just fascinated by it, the Hawaii of Korea. And then I Googled the images and I thought, yes, that's where I need to go. I love the ocean. I scuba dive. Um, I, I feel so open by the water. I feel closed in by mountains. But if I can get to a, to a water's edge, I feel like I can breathe freely. And Jeju just had it all, as you know, Dave. It was just amazing. So, and, and then when I had the interview with um, Christine Jerebeck was, our, was the principal who interviewed me. Um, she was just amazing and so, so informative and so helpful and so um, passionate about what she was doing. And I thought I can learn something from this woman. And so I it was an easy choice for me once I had that interview with Christine. Had you ever been to South Korea or anywhere in Asia before, well, East Asia before uh, you got the job there? I had. I had been to Vietnam and I had been to the airport there in Incheon before, but I had never done any mm. any sightseeing or or touristy things in Korea. But I had been and I had done a teacher exchange, a sister city exchange in, with Hagiwara, Japan. Um, as part of my school district as the International Baccalaureate Coordinator, but that had been years earlier. So I had been to Asia, but and I had actually been in Korea, but not not to the extent where I could explore it. So it was a new a new opportunity, a new experience for me in Korea itself. I remember when I first arrived, there was just this feeling, because I'd never been to Asia. I'd travelled a lot around Europe and Australia and New Zealand, but... Um, I've never been, obviously, to South Korea, and um, but there was this amazing sort of like excitement. I remember when I first arrived, and actually, sort of really dawned on me that I was somewhere that was new and really interesting, really exciting. And can you remember that when you when you arrived there? I do, and for me, it's associated with food. I mean, the the, the exotic kinds of foods and how they're prepared and the flavors um, that they use for it, and I think the, the culture in which it's prepared. Um, uh, you know, that caught my attention. And then I don't know if you experienced this when you were in Jeju, but the, um, this, the safety and the security of Korea, it's very different from what I would have seen in America. I mean, I, I fully believe I could have left my purse and my laptop in the middle of downtown Seoul and it, someone would have found me and returned it to me. It would not have been stolen but I, I felt very safe and secure. And as a single woman, I mean, this meant a great deal to me. The other thing was the blanketing of the, of the internet. I've never experienced anything like that. The tech savviness of Korea, even on Jeju, this little isolated island, you know, this was all very different from, from what I had known before. 
um, and and the people um, were just they're friendly. It's they don't share easily. I mean, it takes a long time. You have to invest a lot of time in getting to know them. But I always felt warmth emanating um, from my colleagues and from the people that I met um, on Jeju. And of course, they're very proud people, proud of their history. And even though their history is full of some struggle um, in, in the last hundred years, um, but they're they're very proud, resilient um, people. Yes, South Korea will always have a special place, certainly in my heart. Um, now, thinking more broadly about being an international teacher, what do you think are the benefits? So imagine someone's listening and watching this, thinking about taking a leap. Uh, what would you say to them? What are the benefits of becoming an international teacher? Oh, well, you know, there there's so many that I can't even... Let, let's start. So if you're an American teacher... Um, the money is going to be the first one that surfaces. It shouldn't be, but for many it is. Uh, there are tax benefits of working overseas. But I would like to get beyond that because I, I want to get to the heart of the matter, that it expands you and broadens you and your perspectives as, a, as, a, as an individual, as a person. So for one thing, my service in the military allowed me to be exposed um, to people and positions of power that I might not see in my hometown, people of color, as a drill sergeant, as a company commander. Um, but when I came back to my hometown, I saw more of the same thing. But if you're in the international arena and you see people from a wide swath of society, of races, of cultures, of creeds, um, and you see them as your colleagues, you see them in positions of power, it broadens your mind and opens your mind you know, to the way things should be the diversity that should be everywhere. And and you can learn so much. Uh, you can learn so much from, from seeing people um, exercise their their skills in so many different ways. I mean, you have, mis you have preconceived notions of what someone from a certain region looks like, how they act, what they do, what they excel in. And I think teaching international school just blows that completely out of the water. Um, in amazing yeah. ways, and then you're never the same, and, and you come back, and your 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 you know your perspective might have been this era before, and now it's like there are no limits at all, and you see that in yourself, and you think, well, if if my perceptions of others were so narrow, and now they've broadened, what about my perceptions of myself, and what might the possibilities are for me, and my career, and what I can do? So um, I think for all of those reasons, and. There's no way you can you can love history without also loving travel. And like I said before, history is my passion. So to have the opportunity um, to work as an international teacher gave me the opportunity then to learn more about history of Korea, which I had never been, you know, I was a Middle East scholar, uh, but to be able to learn what was happening in Korea and, you know, in times past um, helped me with that too and, and, and really um, helped me develop the appreciation um, for a new area of interest. When you were there, did you ever go to the demilitarized zone? I did. I don't know if you know Michelle. Well, I know you know Michelle, mm -hmm. um, fellow Aussie of yours there, who was yeah. our librarian there in Jeju. We went up there one weekend and explored that. Yes, and the tunnels and all of that. My father was in the Korean conflict, so it was particularly meaningful for me uh, to be able to visit um, the DMZ. Yeah, I remember when I went there was actually uh, the day after uh, Donald Trump was there. 
in 2018. Oh, and as a result, times. it was exciting times. And unfortunately, I couldn't go to the um, right up to the, you know, that border crossing zone, that, that room. I can't think of the name. I should have had it uh, ready. <laughs> but um, yeah, unfortunately, couldn't go there. Managed to go in the tunnels and be able to go uh, up close. But it was a real shame. I was not too happy about his visit being on that particular date because I'd booked well in advance before him. But anyway, that's how it goes. <laughs> no, I, I, I get your, I feel your pain. <laughs> um, so traveling is, of course, a big feature of international education. And I always remember the times where, you know, people would drop into my office and it might be a, you or some of our colleagues or people would always be talking about what's coming up in the, the next, um, you know, next uh, school holidays. Um, and, you know, being in Jeju or, or in lots of places in Asia, there's so many exciting places nearby to explore. It does feel like we're starting to get back to that slowly, which is something that we can all look forward to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, anything that uh, – what, what was perhaps your standout trips in your time when you were in, in Jeju? Oh, there are so many. Well, I'm a poker player, so I spent some time in Macau, you know, flying into Hong mm -hmm. Kong and taking the ferry over. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, I think Siem Reap has to be at the top of my list. Um, I also had a chance to go to Oman, and that was that was phenomenal, um, besides the deserts. Um, gosh, this is a hard list to put together. So many. Um, How Long Bay in Vietnam. Um Diving in Phuket there in Thailand, um, yeah. I think I think the list that that troubles me the most is the one that I'm still compiling because I keep rearranging the order every time I talk with somebody new and where they've been. And then oh well, I had that as number five. I'm going to move that up to number one and 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 that sort of thing. But but you're right. It was amazing to hear people talk about their their holiday plans and where they were going and. One that I regret that I didn't get a chance to do when I was in Korea, I wanted to go. There was a jazz festival in Vladivostok every November, and mm -hmm. there were some of us that were talking about, well, we'll go to Vladivostok, um, but you know, there's that train, the Trans-Siberian Express you can go over. You can actually cover all of Russia in six days if you don't get off the train. And it was like incredibly inexpensive. I mean, I want to say it was like $700 for that. Then I thought, do I really not want to get off the train? You know, do, and do I want to do this in, in November? You know, so I never could figure out the proper time to do it. And but I'm going to make that trip, Dave. That's that's still on my list. I want to I want to see Russia and I want to I want to take that trip. I don't know if you've ever read any of the books by Paul Thoreau, um, T-H-E-R-O-U-X. He's a travel essayist. He wrote years ago, he wrote a book called The, the Great Railway Bazaar about going by train through Asia. And as, as, he, as he was taking his trip, he was, he was talking about the books he was reading because he was a literature professor. And I would recommend anything he writes because he writes about train travel everywhere. But the particular one he wrote about going by train through Asia is, would be where I would start, the Great Railway Bazaar. Sounds very good. We might have to get some of these, uh, these things in the links in the, um, in the description for the podcast and the video. Sure. Um, now, we're talking, of course, about the, 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 the golden era of international teaching when, um, yeah, before the pandemic. Um, and then, of course, um, just around the same, was it around the same time that you had left or was it just before when you left Jeju? I left Jeju in July of 2019 and the pandemic started for us in India, uh, which was my next posting, March of 2000. Um, 
I guess it's 2020. Yeah, it's been that long ago now. So I was in my new post for eight months before we were hit with the pandemic there in Mumbai. And and how were things there? I have to say they were challenging, um, particularly for someone um, who was at this point, I was now the principal, not just the associate principal, but the principal. So felt very responsible. And yet I didn't feel quite grounded yet in the culture of the school and what was going on because I had only been there, you know, for a short eight months. Um, I'm very proud of how my teachers, um, you know, managed the system and, and how we did that together. One of the things that, that saved us a bit was actually, I'm, I'm grateful to you, Dave, and to the administration um, at KIS Jeju because there was such a, a high bar set for the use of technology and training that I know you had pulled me kicking and screaming from my Luddite background into using <laughs> Google Calendar. And so when I got to India, the uh, school where I started um, where I w when I was there didn't have a learning management system in place at the time. So we quickly you know, instituted um, Bandageback as our system. And then I said for communication, I live in Dabe Google Calendar now, thanks to KSJJU. So I insisted that every teacher put all of their classes there so I could find them and know, you know, where geographically to find them and also where to find them, you know, on, on the weekly schedule so I could go visit their classes. So we already had that system in place and we had four hours notice in India um, about the actual lockdown, but we knew that there was, that it was coming. So we had been on spring break. And we told the students right after spring break, well, don't come back on Monday. You know, I'm just going to meet with the teachers and we're going to talk about a plan. So that was that Monday in March. I, I think it was the 19th, 20th. I don't have my calendar from me, but I just had a big meeting in our cafeteria with the teachers. And I said, look, we're going to practice this Google meet thing. You know, you already have your calendars already set up and they were sitting there in the cafeteria and calling each other across the tables. I said, we feel okay. Yep. Thumbs up everyone. And it was just the very next day, um, eight o'clock in the evening where the prime minister said, you know, we're for safety's sake, we're going into this lockdown. And I, I think that, that we did quite a good job. We ended up at my school having a, an excellent reputation with regard to the continuity of carrying the class on. And that lasted, it didn't, it didn't completely finish until March of 2022. We brought some students back in October of 2020 on a rotating basis, but we weren't fully back operational um, to the pre-COVID level for a full two years. So wow. that was certainly challenging from a professional perspective. And of course we were an IB diploma program so students, of course, experienced the challenge of that, but they, they did quite well. And ultimately, ultimately they're back and, and operational and very successful now. So I, I feel that if that was all I could do, that was a great contribution. And thank you, Dave, for your, <laughs> for your mentoring with the technology for that. No, no. Um, so th that's interesting. You were there for three years and you got to see the school pre pandemic for a short time about eight months yeah. and then you sort of finished off your time with things starting to return to normal that is yeah. um quite quite fortunate by the sounds of things that the school had someone as 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 capable a leader as you to be there during well, those thank times. you for saying that we had we have an excellent head of school there and very competent um many years of experience in india and mm -hmm. um so it was a team effort it was absolutely a team effort 
uh, you have to circle the wagons and organize and and collaborate together. And those are things we had always done with pedagogical issues. And um, so it was, you know, it's just a continuation of that, of the of that grade, that feedback chain um, back and forth. So it, it was it was wonderful. I don't want to relive that experience anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we were we lost a teacher. You know, there were some serious things that that happened. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's part of life. And now we have to move on and we take our experiences and our learning with us. And, of course, you're back in Florida. Uh, what What is it like being back, uh, back in the U.S.? It is surreal. So I'm back where I started. I'm, I'm the IB coordinator once again at Pensacola High School. Delighted to be there. Um, I'm back in the same office. And I have some of the same faculty that were here 16 years ago. Um, so Pensacola High School's changed too, though. They say that, you know, when you come back, you know, the person themselves is not the same. So I'm not the same person. Pensacola mm -hmm. High School's not the same school. They've grown and expanded and built. So um, it's a dynamic experience. But it, it, there is a bit of, of surrealness to it as I'm, as I'm living back in, in my hometown, essentially, and uh, do I miss the overseas? Yes, I'm already planning a vacation at Christmas to to um, Dutch Curacao Island there in the Caribbean. You know, I have to get some of that of that in it. I think as long as I'm planning a trip, I'm okay. But but I think I made the right decision for me to return to Pensacola. I'm I'm a woman of a certain age, and at some point, you do miss community. I enjoyed the international community. But because people usually take two, three, four-year contracts and then move on, I feel like I've got friends in a lot of places, but I need a regular, steady community that knows me, that's kind of a witness to my life, you know, mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And I think that that means a lot to me at this stage um, here. So I'm very happy to be back at Pensacola High School and yeah. very, very happy to continue to be able to work with IB. But I'm bringing all the lessons I've learned with me from my experience running um, or associate principal of an advanced placement program and then as a principal of an IB program, I'm hoping that that I can bring something new to the table to strengthen um, Pensacola even more. Well, you bring uh, so much to the table, Colleen. Um, let me just quickly finish off with uh, how can people who might want to get in touch with you, how can they, how can they reach out? Um, well, uh, I'm not shy. I'm on LinkedIn, Colleen Boyette. You can find me there. Um, I'm also easy to find with my email, ColleenBoyette at gmail.com. I'm always interested in finding out what other people are doing and their ideas. And and I, I love that kind of interaction. So if you want to chat about international schools, um, I'm a big fan and I'm happy to, to help anyone start their way down that path. Well, that's fantastic. And look, Colleen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the program. Um, I hope uh, maybe we'll catch up again at some point in the future as well, and not just on this show, but uh, in, in person, the real way. I hope <laughs> so. Well, I, I end up, I end up in, in your part of the, of the world from time to time, so I hope we'll stay in touch, Dave. Thank you for the opportunity. Fantastic. Thanks for being on Education Talks. Mm -hmm.